What did the toad say to the frog? Ribbit. 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 <laughs> I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. And welcome to I've Read That. Uh, yeah. This um, is our podcast. This is the podcast. <laughs> Living Episode in a, 11. Yeah. That's a lot. Wow. Wait, is that right? Is it 11 or 12? 11? This is the 11th one. 11. I don't know what day it is, let alone where I am right now. No, um, me neither. I've been uh, out of work sick for three weeks So my concept of time has evaporated into the nothingness of the universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You are living on another plane of existence right now. I am. The brain plane. The brain plane. I've spent basically three weeks on the couch um, watching, like, Tuca and Birdie. Uh, We're just vibing today. Um, So... As if, if, if I was gonna say, as you all know, but if you listen to the last podcast, <laughs> you know that we read Tuck Everlasting. Also, you might know from the title of the episode. Also, from the title on. of the episode. Very good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and we did something a little bit different this time as mm-hmm. well. Um, before recording this, Michelle and I decided that we were going to watch. The, what was it, 2003? 2002. 2002. Um, Tuck Everlasting movie. And it gave us some interesting things to talk about with comparing and contrasting, but we are going to mostly focus on the book first. But we just thought it would be interesting to try something different and see what it's like, because a lot of these books, since they are so, like, classic and popular, they had a lot of movies made after them. Um, or about them, whatever. So yeah. we thought it would be interesting to do that. Um, I think we briefly talked about it with the last episode as well, where we kind of talked a little bit about the movie Matilda versus the book Matilda. Um, but this one, we'll kind of maybe talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start out, as we always do, with some background information about the author. Go for it. So the author, her name is Natalie Babbitt. Um, and she was born in Dayton, Ohio, July 28th, 1932. Oh, wow. So we are uh, only a few days from her birthday. That's pretty cool. Oh. Um, so it says she spent large amounts of time. Oh, and this is from her website. Uh, and it kind of matches up what's on Britannica's website mm-hmm. as well. But this is from her website. It's wa- website. Her <laughs> website. It's nataliebabbittinfo.weebly.com. Um, so she spent large amounts of her time in her childhood reading myths and fairy tales. Her mother, an amateur landscape and portrait painter, also uh, always made sure Natalie had plenty of pencils, paper, and paint. She grew up wanting to be an illustrator and specialized in art at Laurel School in Cleveland, Ohio, and at Smith College. Shortly after graduating from college, she married Samuel Fisher Babbitt, uh, an academic administrator, and spent the next 10 years in different cities and Mm -hmm. had some children. Um, she collaborated on a children children's book with her husband called The 49th Magician. Um, and then, let me see. Her first two books are called Dick Foot and the Shark and Phoebe's Revolt. Uh, and it looks like... I'm not sure when Tuck Everlasting fell in between there, but she wrote three novels as well as... I guess she did a lot of small poems. Mm-hmm. Um and she wrote Tuck Everlasting, The Eyes of Amar- of the Amaryllis, and Herbert Robarge are her three novels that she wrote. So I guess her growing up um, reading a lot of fantasies and myths and fairy tales, it gives some good context for this book. Because um, I feel like that's it's, it's rooted a lot in that, like, with certain imagery. Definitely. Like, a magic spring mm-hmm. and people that live forever and a frog or a toad you know what i mean like these these different symbols that would be symbols of things in fairy tales but definitely like in a modern world yes 
which creates like an interesting contrast, I think, throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Do you want to jump into the summary? Yeah. Summarize Tuck Everlasting here. Uh, for those who have not read it, or if you've read it and it's been a while. I know a lot of people who read this book in elementary school. I did. I did um, not. I also know a lot of people who watched the movie <laughs> in elementary school. Um, you know, for those those days when you just gotta show a movie. <laughs> and it happens. Yes, there are ha- those it days. <laughs> um, so, Tuck Everlasting... Um, the protagonist of this book is named Winnie Foster. She is a 10-year-old girl um, coming from this rich family, the Fosters, who are kind of uh, reclusive. They don't really like get outside of their own family or their own house. They also own this huge patch of woods. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where this is supposed to be set. In terms of, it's like it's somewhere in the U.S., but I don't. Yeah, know it if, seems like it's if the it United ever gets States. more specific than that. Except that the town is called Tree Gap. You know this. This sort of reminded me, um, just the vibe of the book and mm-hmm. the vibe of the movie a little bit as well. It reminded me of Stardust, like okay, just the opening of it, like the way that his town is. I don't know why, but, like, Tree Gap just reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's an interesting setting. It's sort of, like, very on the cusp of, like, not industrialization exactly, but it's, like, you know, that time period where cars are, like, just starting to emerge as a form of transportation. So you kind of have this... um you know, old time and new time uh, juxtaposition, like, throughout the book. Which is, it is a symbol of the book as well, considering Mm -hmm. the family has been through all of the, like, they've been living for, what, a hundred and something years. Yeah. And so it kind of fits with them. Definitely. So... Winnie um, is a pretty dissatisfied child. She feels kind of, like, stifled by her family, and they're very, like, overprotective. They don't really let her go anywhere, and she sort of just wants to go off and have an adventure and be by herself a little bit. Um, Which, you know, she's 10 years old. I think that's kind of a Mm -hmm. common feeling at that age. And especially if she's, like been not allowed to even like leave her fence her yeah. entire life she's pretty much confined to the yard of the house so she's she's yearning for independence um we are also introduced to the tuck family so we get may tuck who's the mom of the tuck family and her husband uh he's just called tuck throughout most of the book which is like confusing to me as I read um and I can't actually remember his first name Angus Angus Tuck so you have Maytuck and Angus Tuck they are um going to have a visit from their sons Jesse and oh my gosh Miles Miles thank you (laughs) (laughs) who are coming to visit for the first time in 10 years um and they come to visit every 10 years so May is very excited. She's getting ready. She goes off to meet Miles and Jesse kind of like halfway to the house so she can walk with them back to the house. Um, Winnie, meanwhile, is sitting in her yard feeling smothered. Um, she sees a little toad outside the fence, and this toad is a pretty prominent image throughout the book. Um and she's just kind of, like, unloading her woes on this toad because she doesn't really have any friends. That's how I, how it be sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just have to unload your worries onto a toad. Yeah. Toads are good listeners. <laughs> um, near nighttime of this day, when Winnie is still out in the yard, she's catching fireflies. 
this strange man walks up to her and starts talking to her. The most uh, important detail about him is that he has a, a yellow suit. He's a man in a yellow suit. It also describes him as having an apologetic beard, which I love. Apologetic beard. I don't really know what that means, but I love it. Does that mean he's apologizing for his beard? That it's so awful? <laughs> is that what it means? It's like an embarrassing beard. <laughs> Sorry, but... <laughs> Um, so this guy starts talking to her and he's like asking some strange probing questions about her family. Um, kind of asking like, oh, how long has your family been here? Do they own the woods? Does your family know everyone in town? Um, Winnie's grandmother comes out and also talks to the man. Um, and they're kind of uncomfortable with him. It's a pretty weird, awkward conversation. Um, And then they hear this tinkling music coming from the woods. And Winnie's grandma gets really excited. She says it's elf music that she heard when she was a little girl. Um, And the man in the yellow suit is like, hold on, you've heard that before. Um, So he's kind of suspecting something about the music box. We're not sure what yet. Um, Winnie has decided that she wants to run away from home, uh, because she just wants to get out and have a little adventure. And then the next morning she wakes up and thinks, I'm not going to run away from home. That's kind of ridiculous, but I'm going to go for a walk in the woods, at least. Yeah, she's like, this is my... This is my small adventure. Yeah, me going on my adventure. So, uh, she walks out into the woods... Um, and it mentions that her family never really goes out into the woods. Like, they own all this land, but they pretty much stay in their house all the time. Um, she finds the toad in the woods, which is nice. She has another little chat with the toad. And she's like, I don't even know if this is the same toad, but I just assume (laughs) it's the same toad. Yeah. Um, she finds a little clearing with a huge tree. And a boy, it says a boy, almost a man, is sitting at the base of this tree. Um, And then he leans down and moves some stones away from the base of the tree, revealing a spring, and he takes a drink. And then he realizes that Winnie is watching him. And so this is Jesse Tuck, uh, who is on his way to go home to his parents with his brother, um... And the two of them have a little chat. Um, She asks if she can drink the water because she's thirsty. And Jesse kind of like freaks out a little bit. He's like, no, you can't drink this water. It's gross. It's dirty. Um, You don't need to drink it. (laughs) And she's like, but I just saw you drinking it. Like, yeah, I own this. My daddy owns the lake. Yeah, my daddy (laughs) owns the lake. <laughs> and she's like, I'm so thirsty, please let me drink this water. Um and then Jesse like gets more anxious. He's like, Are you gonna tell your father about this? Um and then his mom, May Tuck, and Jesse's older brother Miles Tuck show up and May says, Here it is, the worst is happening at last. And then they kidnap her. They just, like, yeah. throw her onto a horse and start running. And Maytuck is like, please don't be scared. Please don't freak out. We're not going to hurt you. Um, they ride on down the road. At some point, they pass the man in the yellow suit on the road. And he gets a look at Winnie. And May says, like, oh, we're just teaching our daughter how to ride a horse. Yeah, and they don't know that he's you already know, she's, seen her. Yeah, she's met him before. Yeah. So we know that he's going to be suspicious of this. Um, and then the Tucks tell Winnie their story. So 87 years before, the Tucks had come from a long way to the east looking for a place to settle. That's what it says. Um, and so they came across this spring in the woods as they were traveling and stopped to take a drink. Everyone took a drink, even the horse, except for the cat. 
The cat did not take a drink. And then as they lived their lives after that, they just gradually started to realize that the water from the spring had kept them from aging. It kept them from dying. Uh, Jesse fell out of a tree and landed on his head and he was fine. Um, some hunters accidentally shot their horse and the horse was fine. Pa got bit by a snake and Jesse ate poison mushrooms. Um, and they just realized that they weren't aging at all, even though the cat died. Yep, and that's the important part. Yeah, because the cat did not drink. Um, Miles had gotten married and had kids, and his wife noticed that he wasn't aging and thought he'd sold his soul to the devil, so she left him and took the kids. Yeah, it's really sad. Very sad. Um, they, all their friends, like, started to think they were, like, witches or something, and so they just realized they had to start, like, traveling, and they couldn't really stay where they were. Um... And something a little bit more gruesome that might need, like, a, a like a trigger warning on it or something, if you're going to be reading the book. Um, there is a part where they're talking about how they, they're figuring out they're not aging, and Tuck, Angus Tuck. The daddy. He, like, yeah, daddy Tuck. He takes a shotgun and, like, shoots himself. Yeah. Like, right like, in front of his wife. Knowing that it's happens. not going to do anything. Yeah, but he still did it. But just to, like, like, prove a point. Yeah, and so that might be a little bit, like, shocking to know that this is in a book that you're like, oh, children are reading this in school, and the guy literally, like, shoots himself in the face, like, "Uh, I don't know. I mean, but, like, Michelle and I were talking about before, like, there are a lot of dubious things and (laughs) that happen in a lot of the children's books that are considered classics, Um. And it's not as bad, I guess, because it's written. Whereas with children's movies, they maybe don't show that. Um, I feel like people also used to not get as upset by gun violence as they do now because it was just a different political climate, you know? Yeah. So, like, I don't think that would have been, like, quite as upsetting as it might be now. Yeah, probably not. Like... I, I mean, this was written in the 70s. Like, I think gun ownership was more common. It was less, like, I don't know. I just think it was, If it's like, the 70s, it also means that there weren't um, school shootings happening. Yeah. That, if, if they did at all, they weren't happening often. Because, what, in the 90s, it was probably during, like, with Columbine that... Yeah. ...kind of started Escalated. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a little strange. So just watch out for that. <laughs> I just wanted to put that in there just in case anybody, you know, yeah, does not enjoy that. Um, it's good to know kind of what to expect. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're an educator and you are teaching this book and you haven't read the book in a long time or you've never read the book, if you... Oh my gosh, you know, that moment when you're reading something out loud for kids and then like you yeah. can see something like kind of questionable coming up and you just have this moment of like, should Do I, I say it? Should I keep yep. reading? <laughs> exactly. So, so that's just a warning. Um, so anyway, after that, they're like, okay, definitely we are immortal. Like there's no questioning it now. Um, we're going to live forever. And they realized that they needed to keep the spring a secret because it would just have this, like, devastating effect if people found out about it. A lot of people would start drinking from it and living forever. And that would just have a lot of nasty consequences. Um, So they're all frozen at the ages they are. Jesse is frozen at 17. Um, Winnie kind of doesn't believe them at first. It takes her... I think a couple days to totally believe the story. Um, But she grows to like the family, even though she was scared of them at first. And for a while, she kind of has, like, equal parts liking them and being afraid of them. Like, she keeps bouncing back and forth, which I think is pretty natural. Because they're being nice to her, but they also did kidnap her They did kidnap her. Yeah. (laughs) And they're telling her this story about how they've been living forever. And she's just like, who are these people? Yeah. What they don't know is that the man in the yellow suit followed them to the Tuck's house and heard the whole story. 
Um, so she stays with the Tucks for, I think, a couple days. Something I think it like was that. only supposed to be like, really, I don't even think it was a couple days. I think it was like at least 24 hours. Yeah. Because they take her like the morning of the one day and then they're supposed to return her like the morning of the next day yeah. or like the afternoon of the next day is when they're supposed to return her. They're like, we have to keep you for another day for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. But they give her dinner. Pancakes. Pancakes, yeah. They have flapjacks, bacon bread, and applesauce. Um, Sounds pretty good, to be honest. Yeah. They're a lot less, like, formal and stuffy than her family, and I think that's what she ends up liking about them. Because she's so used to her very, like, uptight, sort of old money family. Mm-hmm. And the tucks are very loose. Like, they don't eat at a table. They just kind of, like, eat on the couch. Uh, which is what I do most of the time, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's more comfortable. Um, she still wants to go home. But they just, they keep trying to explain to her, like, you can't tell anyone about the spring. We'll take you home. You just can't tell anyone because it wouldn't be good for anyone. Um, early the next morning, um, Pa Tuck takes her out fishing. This is probably, like, my favorite scene. Me too. Um, so we have, like, these beautiful descriptions of the early morning lake. There's, like, frogs, bullfrogs. There's, you know, birds. And the, the surface of the water has all this light on it. Um, and then Tuck just kind of starts explaining. I really like this. I kind of want to read, yeah, like, most of what he has to say. I have it open right now, so I could... You want to read it? Yeah, I'll I'll go through and I'll read, like, his dialogue, and I'll kind of skip over some of the description. So for my ebook, it's around, like, page 61. That's where it is um, in my physical book. Okay, exactly. cool. Perfect. <laughs> um, so this is where it starts. And so he's talking to us, to, well, I guess it's page 60 is where this starts. So Tuck says, know what that is all around us, Winnie? Life, moving, growing, changing, never the same two minutes together. This water you look at out at it every morning, and it looks the same, but it ain't. All night long it's been moving, coming in through the stream, back there to the west, slipping out through the stream down east here, always quiet, always new, moving on. You can't hardly see the current, can you? And sometimes the wind makes it look like it's going the other way, but it's always there. The water's always moving on, and someday after a long while it comes to the ocean. And then some more descriptions. Mm -hmm. And then, know what happens then? Said Tuck. To the water to the water the sun sucks some of it up uh, right out of the ocean and carries it back to the clouds and then it rains and the rain falls into the stream the stream keeps moving on taking it all back again it's a wheel Winnie. everything's a wheel turning and turning never stopping the frogs is part of it the bugs and the fish and the wood thrush too and people but never the same ones always coming in new always growing and changing and always moving on that's the way it's supposed to be that's the way it is Mm-hmm. Some more descriptions. It goes on, <laughs> Tuck repeated, to the ocean, but this rowboat now, it's stuck. If we didn't move it out ourselves, it would stay here forever trying to get loose, but stuck. That's what us Tucks are, Winnie. Stuck. So as we can't move on. We ain't part of the wheel no more. Dropped off, Winnie. Left behind. And everything, or and everywhere around us, things is moving and growing and changing. You, for instance, a child now, but someday a woman, and after that, moving on to make room for the new children. Um, blah, blah, blah. And I like, just to interrupt you real quick, I like yeah, I like that that kind of makes Winnie, like, anxious. Because, like, yeah. kids don't spend a lot of time, I think, usually thinking about their own mortality. Yeah. So, and s- it's like, for her to suddenly be faced with that, it says she raged against it, helpless and yep. insulted, <laughs> and blurted at last, I don't want to die. Yeah, that's, that's where I started my quote for that this Mm -hmm. portion so i did quote this so she says this and then uh, no said tuck calmly not now your time's not now but dying's part of the wheel right there next to being born you can't pick out the pieces you like and leave the rest being part of the whole thing that's the blessing but it's passing us by us tucks 
Living's heavy work, but off to one side, the way we are, it's useless too. It don't make sense. If I knowed how to, or if I knowed how to climb back on the wheel, I'd do it in a minute. You can't have living without dying, so you can't call it living. What we got, we just are. We just be like rocks beside the road. Um, so sad. Yeah. So it's I really like that whole section. So he's just trying to explain to her that it's like it might seem to you that it's this like magical thing, but really it's not. Like we're not part. Yeah, it's of like this a curse. Cycle, the wheel anymore. Yeah, it's a curse. I like that. Yeah. So she. She's really kind of struggling with all this. Like, she's she's trying to comprehend all of this very heavy, you know, knowledge of, of the circle of life and mortality. It says uh, toward the end of the chapter, Winnie, struggling with the anguish of all these things, could only sit hunched and numb, the sound of the water rolling in her ears. Um, and then suddenly, Miles calls out over the lake because someone has stolen their horse. Which honestly has got to be one of the scariest things. If they're yeah. like, nobody knows who we are, where we are. Yeah. And our horse is gone. Yep. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. So the man in the yellow suit is the one who has stolen the horse. Um, he rides the horse all the way back to the foster's house. And he basically says, hey, I know where your daughter is. Um. The Tucks are not really sure what to do about this situation. Because, like, they have no idea where their horse has gone or who stole it. Um, they... Let's see. They go to sleep. Um, Winnie doesn't really fall asleep. Um, pa Tuck comes down in the middle of the night at some point and... He just kind of checks on her, you know, like, are you okay? Do you need me to sit here with you? Um, if you need anything, just holler. He's, he's very, like, very anxious about kind of taking care of her and making sure she's okay. Um, and then she's awake for a while, and then Jesse comes down stairs. Um, and she's, like, embarrassed. Um... I guess because she's probably in a nightgown. No, actually, she slept in just her clothes, didn't she? I think she was so. like, I don't want to borrow any clothes. I'm just gonna sleep in my yeah. regular dress. Well, it's funny because it's like May comes down first and mm -hmm. is like talking to her and is like, "Okay, I hope you sleep well. Sorry, blah blah blah." And then that's when then Tuck comes down and he's like, "Oh, I just wanted to talk to you and just you know make sure that you're okay." And then she's like just trying to sleep and is already really uncomfortable. And then Jesse's yeah. also down <laughs> like now and he's like, "Hey, I just came to check on you." Yeah, um, but the thing about Jesse is like. Hey, I have an idea. Because um, we can't tell anyone about this water, right? Like, we've never told anyone. Um, but you know about it. So maybe you could wait until you're 17 and then drink the water and we could be 17 together forever and get married. And Winnie's, Winnie's kind of into it. She's kind of got this crush on Jesse. Um... It's not like it is in the movie, which no, we can talk about definitely later. definitely not. Yeah. Um, well, and, and you don't even know, like, at first, she's not really, like, like the descriptions of Jesse aren't really of Winnie being, like, nervous around him mm -hmm. in the sense of, like, having a crush on him. But when he brings it up, that's when, like, she starts to get, like, nervous around him at, like, any point after that. I noticed that as well. That it's yeah. like she maybe wasn't thinking about it because she's like a little kid. Yeah. Like she's 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, crushes when you're 10 years old can be intense. Well, I guess she... So this does say only six years off. Maybe she's so 11. maybe she's almost 11. Mm, that doesn't make it any better, but... <laughs> it's... I mean, I get... I, I get that, yeah. like... This is pretty much Jesse's only option because <laughs> they can't tell anyone about the spring. Yeah. And she seems to be pretty, like, okay with it so far. Like, she hasn't gotten, like, upset or been, like, witchcraft or anything like that, yeah. you know, but as far as they're aware. It's introducing this 
choice now for Winnie whether she would want to agree with Jesse and like do this thing and it would be like happy and they would have fun forever or if she wants to like listen to uh Pa Tuck and like understand that it's not a natural way to be you know it's not a good thing it's not worth it so she has this kind of like branching path ahead of her now Mm -hmm. um and a big decision to make for yeah. a, a 10 or <laughs> 10 11 year old. old. Yeah. That's not, even at 17, you don't need to be making life, oh, yes, life decisions <laughs> that are completely irreversible and literally last forever. Yup. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, the man in the yellow suit is talking to the Fosters and he says, you know, I know where your daughter is. I can lead you there. I can take the sheriff there. Um. By the way, I really like your woods. Wink. Um, <laughs> so basically he's saying to them, if you sell me your woods, I will take you to your daughter, which is awful. It's This guy's so slimy. Um, but they, they give the woods over to him, which of course he wants because he now knows about the spring. Um... The man in the yellow suit goes to fetch the constable, and they ride 20 miles to the Tuck's house. And the man in the yellow suit is, like, very annoyed by the constable the whole time. He's like, can you please not talk to me? He's like, I'm going to ride ahead. Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to go ahead. It's fine. I'll check on it. (laughs) Um, So uh, when he wakes up the next morning, they have breakfast. Uh, she goes fishing with Miles. He talks about his children and how he used to take his children fishing. Um, Winnie catches a fish. And then immediately she's, like, horrified. She's like, I don't want to kill this fish. Please let it go. <laughs> Me um, and then she's like, I don't want to fish anymore. Um, so Miles is like, okay, they don't catch any more fish. Um and they go back, and he's just like, ah, oh, no, we didn't get any bites. Um, yeah, it was very sweet. It was sweet, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so they're having a nice breakfast, and then someone knocks at the door. Which is also terrifying. Yeah. Like, it describes it, it says, it was such an alien sound, so sudden and surprising that May dropped her fork, and everyone looked up startled. Um, the man in the yellow suit is at the door. Surprise! (laughs) He says he's come to take Winnie home. Um, all the tucks are like, hey, she's not in danger. Um, the man in the yellow suit gives a little bit of his backstory. Um, he says that his grandmother, uh... A dear friend of my grandmother's married into a very odd family, married the older of two sons, and they had two children. It was after the children were born that she began to see that the family was odd. This friend of my grandmother's, she lived with her husband for 20 years, and strange to say, he never got any older. So basically, he's always kind of like known about the rumor about these people. And he kind of became obsessed with it. Like he started like devoting his life to figuring out how you can live forever And then he knows that this family had a music box and he knew the melody of the music box. So when he heard it in the woods at the Foster's house, he knew that that was uh, the thread Mm -hmm. to follow. So he explains to them that he owns the spring now and he's basically going to sell the spring water to rich people, basically, who want to live forever. Um, he which, also... Which we talked about very briefly when we were watching the yeah. movie. I was like, I don't think rich people are the ones that I want to be living forever. <laughs> no, and he, he says it like, oh, people who deserve to live forever. Yeah. That's how he phrases like, it. No. And then he says, you know, you could you could tour with me and be a demonstration. Like, basically, he wants to make them into a freak show. Phew. Which, this guy is the worst. 
He's yeah, so awful. he's awful. Um, and then uh, he basically, like, grabs Winnie and starts to drag her away. And she's, like, screaming. She says she doesn't want to go with him. And then May is standing with a shotgun. And she says, like, leave Winnie alone. Um, and he does not. And then May Tuck shoots the man in the yellow suit. And he just, like, crumples just in time for the constable to ride through the trees and see the whole thing. Which is not well, of course. great. It's not a great look for the Tucks. Um... The constable is very calm in the scene. He just kind of, like, wanders over, and he's like, well, this guy's not dead. Why'd you do that? Oh, she actually didn't shoot him. She she actually No, she, uh, with a dull cracking sound, the stock of the shotgun smashed into the back of the Oh, she did whap him! I I don't know why I thought she shot him. Yeah, like, in my memory, she she shot shot him. Wow, so she did whap him. Well, yeah, I apologize to Tuck Everlasting, the movie. 2002. For 2002 for giving it grief as we were watching it for having <laughs> to crack him on the head. Yeah. I don't just, I really thought she shot him. Yeah, we both did. <laughs> um, but he's just like, okay, why'd you hit him? Um, he's like, you guys kidnapped her. You guys kidnapped Winnie. And then Winnie says, no, these are my friends. I went with them willingly. Um... But he basically explains, like, well, you hit this guy, so if he dies, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, so he arrests Ma Tuck, says, if this feller dies, you'll get the gallows. This feller. Which everyone is immediately like, well, that can't happen, because if Ma Tuck gets hanged, she's not going to die. Yeah. Which would be... I almost cussed. That would be horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, dude. To see somebody just not die when you hang them. Like, oof. Oof. Yeah, dude. Um, So Winnie ends up going home. The constable takes her home. Um, Her family is very relieved that she's safe and sound. Uh, She goes to bed. She's thinking very anxiously about the whole situation. And then the next day, she goes outside. She sees the toad again. Um, she gives the toad some water, which is very sweet. And then Jesse approaches her from outside of the fence. And he says, you know, we have a plan to get Ma out of jail. Uh, we need your help. We are going to take basically the window frame out of her jail cell um, and sneak her out. And then Winnie says, well, if you sneak her out, I can go in and pretend to be her. So the constable won't notice that she's gone until you guys are are far away. So they decide to proceed with this plan. Um, Winnie knows she has to sneak away in the middle of the night. She she has a, a good amount of guilt for, like, now kind of continuously deceiving her family and doing all this stuff, which I think is also a very common, like, adolescence thing. Like, you want independence, but at the same time, you don't want too much independence. Like, it can be very anxiety-inducing. She also, at a point, like, I think mentions to her family, I want to say it's about the man in yellow, says something about him having been killed or him having died or something and they seem like surprised that she's talking about death yeah like, they've never heard her talk about death or taught her about death They're like really. oh this is too much for a little kid yeah yeah but i think it's a uh, it's important yeah for character development that she's learned this that it's showing that like sh- like that uh tuck's talk with her like has gotten through to her yeah like she's kind of matured from that yep so she sneaks out in the middle of the night um, with Jesse, and they head to the jail. Um, and uh, the plan pretty much goes off without a hitch. They get the window out. Um, Jesse, sorry, Winnie 
sneaks, <laughs> sneaks into the cell. Um, and Jesse has also given her, like, a little bottle of spring water. And he says, this is for you, like, if you decide that you want to drink it when you're 17, I'll come back and find you. Mm-hmm. So the family gets away. Winnie uh, does get in some trouble for yeah. helping a woman break out of jail and then pretending to be her. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, she doesn't get in too much trouble because she's a little kid. Um, but there's also the sense that she's kind of, like, betrayed the trust of her family, and that's almost like a a fracture between them now. Um, as she gets a little older. And then as she's sitting in the yard one day, the toad appears again. And now there's this dog that walks up and, like, sniffs around the toad and wants to eat the toad. And she's like, go away, dog. Don't eat the toad. And he still wants to eat the toad. So Winnie grabs the toad and then pours the spring water onto the toad. Yeah, she's got to protect her toad. So this toad is now immortal. (laughs) She also thinks to herself, okay, I just wasted all the spring water, but I know where the spring is. So if I do decide to drink it, I can always go and get some more. Mm -hmm. And then she sets the toad free. And that's the end, but we get an epilogue. Um, There's a time skip to what I assume would be like... In the movie, it was 1999. I think it's meant to be, like, the 70s or 80s in the book. Yeah. Um, They're still driving, like, a horse-drawn carriage. So maybe it's even earlier than that for it not to be, like, completely weird. Yeah, but there are cars. Yeah, there's there's lots of cars. It's now the time when, like, cars and paved roads are the norm. Um, But they they come into town on their horse-drawn wagon. They go into a diner. Um, people are kind of, like, giving them weird looks uh, about their clothes and everything like that. They learn that the forest, the woods, have been bulldozed and developed. Um, and then they go to a graveyard, and they find Winnie's grave. Okay, 1948, so this is, like, the 50s. Okay. That they come back to this town. Um... So Winnie's dead. They understand that she never drank the water. She got married. She had her own children. Um, Jesse's sad, but it's implied that he kind of figured that was coming. Yeah. Um, They encounter the toad. It's just like, I thought this was hilarious. It's just sitting in the middle of the road. Like, not concerned about getting squashed by cars. Yeah, no fear. Yeah, no no fear fear toad. toad. Um, and then they leave pre-gap again, and that's the end. Yep, that's the end. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty quick read. Yeah, it's it's a short It's, I mean, you know, you can, you can tell that the general, like, the overarching thing of it, it, theme is life versus death. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Or rather, life and death, because it's not really, like, a battle between the two. It's it's more, like, like, they're, they're part of the same... Thing. Yeah, the wheel. The wheel. It's the wheel. Yeah. Circle of life. So that's that's the the biggest theme in that. Are there any other themes you would want to talk about? I do because I I started thinking about this with the movie, and I think so much of this book, like, not only is it about like death specifically, but it's about like adolescence and becoming an adult and the anxiety that comes with like realizing that you're growing older. Because I think, like, that is a, a period in your life that causes a lot of anxiety. Like, growing into a teenager, realizing that you're not going to be a child forever. Yeah. Um, wanting independence, but at the same time, like, wanting to be safe and, and having, like, a security net. Mm-hmm. And kind of how you negotiate that. Um, so... You know, in the movie, in the 2002 movie, they made her 15. I think largely because they wanted to lean into this 
teen romance thing between <laughs> Winnie and Jesse. I think I'm going to say I found the movie kind of generic in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it was just sort of a generic like Disney teen romance. You know, we have to make Winnie older so it's not weird if we create this extended romance plot. But I think that removes a lot of that theme from the story. Yes. Because she's already sure. past that, like, developmental point. So I think it's yeah, more, it it... a lot more effective in the book. And I feel like, whereas in the book, it focused a lot on, like, developing each character mm-hmm. individually, it really, like, like, you learned more about Pa, like, yeah. like Tuck. You learn more about May. You learn more, you know, about Miles's background. Like, she gets those moments with them. Mm-hmm. And you learn, like, a little bit about Jesse. Like, how, he, I mean, he's still a kid. He's stuck in this body, you know. Yeah, that sucks. And, yeah, dude. <laughs> I would not so want to like be you... 17-year-old Michelle forever. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Especially if you your brain, learn. like, stays the same, too. That would be a nightmare. Hey, yeah, your big brain now. I got a big brain. I got my whole prefrontal cortex now. You don't yeah, have yeah. that when you're 17. Nope. <laughs> but it's like you get to learn the individual characters as individual characters, mm-hmm. and they all come together to make, like, the Tuck family. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, a lot of it was focused on, like, Jesse is the one telling yeah. her about the whole story, telling her about everything. To- and it's like, it doesn't make it seem as wholesome like her spending time with the family i guess because the whole family accepts her in the book and they still accept her in the movie but it's like weird because you don't get that feeling from it since she's only been spending most of her time with jesse in the two days that she's with them there's like that extended waterfall swimming scene that does not exist in the book and they have this whole like date night Okay, okay. So Michelle and I are watching this movie, and there's a scene in the movie where, yeah, it's like an extended date night, and they're like around a fire and or whatever. And this happens in the book at all. No, this doesn't happen in the book, because they don't date. Yeah. They, or they, they're they not, don't, they don't have not any of this. They're not romantic. in the book. No. And so, there, she like, starts like smiling, and then <laughs> there's drum beats that start playing. Yeah, Jesse's just like hitting a rock with a stick. He's... Yeah, he's hitting a a rock with a stick, and he's like, (laughs) and then she just starts dancing, and I had to pause it because I was laughing, because were you just doing a beat for me? (laughs) Yeah, it's a beat Because I was saying to Michelle, I was like, wait, but these drum beats aren't actually happening, so it's just (laughs) Jessie staring at her, smiling, as she's twirling around a fire, and and it's dead silent. He's just smiling at her. He's not saying anything. And then he stops drumming and they dance together. But it's like, okay, so at this point, there's no music. There was no music. Because he's not drumming. Like, it's, we call that diegetic music if the music exists in the world of the characters. (laughs) There was no more diegetic music. So they're just dancing to nothing. It was really weird. That whole sequence of them doing that strange date. Whatever it was, really it was, uncomfortable. was very weird. So because it's like, like you were saying, it's like they turned it into a romance yeah. rather than this like story about this fairy tale family, yeah, type of thing. Because I, I don't know. I assume that they wanted to like sell the movie to teenagers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so they were yes. trying to make it more appealing. But so I'm like. I'm, like, weirdly more comfortable with the way it is in the book because it's not even really a romance. Like, it's weird for sure that he's 17 and she's 10. Yeah. But you get more of an explanation about, like, how basically he has no other option in the entire world. Yeah. And, like, Winnie has kind of a crush on him, but it's not like they have a romantic relationship. It's more that Jesse is just, like, so lonely and he just like wants someone he can connect to and even his whole family are adults and he's not yep and yeah he's just so desperate to have someone he can connect to and it's like the way that i see it and the reason why i like how the book did it better besides what you've said Mm -hmm. because i agree with that is it it kind of has 
and it goes back to the author's childhood. It has this, like, Alice in Wonderland feel to it, yeah. where it's, like, this little girl is put into this situation. I mean, that's it's a lot of fairy tales are like this, <laughs> yeah. where there's this fantastical element, and she's having to find herself through this, mm-hmm. and that's just, like, another obstacle is, like, well, here's this, like you said, the two different paths that she can take, like, for her to have to choose that, choose between... Living forever, which could also, in a way, stand for childhood, yeah. when you think about it. Living forever, or having to grow old. So it's also like a Peter Pan thing. Like yeah, it's like, do you want to stay as a child forever? Like, yep. it's fun to be a child, and you don't really have any responsibilities, but is that really the way you want to be forever? Yeah. And the answer and is no. I <laughs> appreciate how they do it in the book. And without, so... Without giving her that choice, though, mm-hmm. I think this was, I think it was, I mean, it's obviously a deliberate choice from the author. Without giving her that choice, like, what else, like, like what else does she have? You know what I mean? Like, maybe she, like, she would have been returned by the Tux. Yeah. And maybe this whole thing would have happened if Jesse never made that, like, agreement with her or, like, asked her about it. Yeah. And she would have just lived the rest of her life, maybe. Or maybe she would have gone to the spring and drinking the water anyway and you know like who knows but the fact that he gave her the choice and made her choose between living forever or you know living your life yeah and not being stuck and i i don't know i just i like the way that they did it better in the book yeah that's a really good point um because i i think i like i agree that if there was no choice for her, then it's just kind of a story about a girl being told what to do by adults. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing. First of all, that's not really appealing for children to read about. <laughs> no, not at all. And so it's like you have to, you know, it's a, it's a plot device. Yeah. You have to have that bit in there. So I, I guess that makes it make a little bit more sense why the author would choose to have, like, this 17-year-old boy being, like, well, really, like, what, 100-year-old? Yeah. Being, like, hey... Come, come hang out with me in seven years, six years. Um, but I do, I, I do think it was good that she was given the choice. Because it also puts it into perspective and kind of makes it serious for her after having yeah. that conversation with Pa. That you have your two options. You have the option where he wants you to continue living your life. But then you have the option of, like, you already have somebody to spend your life with. And you can be happy with this family. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Well, it's good. I like that. And and also, like, if they were the same age, if Winnie and Jesse were the same age, she would have no time to think about it. Yep. Because it would be like, oh, I have to do this right now. Yep. And it gives her time with the... Yeah, she has, like, years. six years to think about it and make it a Yeah, decision. that was something else I had mentioned. Like, in the movie, she's 15, like we've said, and in the book, she's 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And a 10-year-old is gonna maybe potentially forget, you know, I know this is a fantastical thing, maybe you wouldn't forget, but a 10-year-old might forget, like, seven years down the road. Yeah. Like, oh, was I supposed to drink this magic water? <laughs> like, whatever. And I gave that to the toad. Exactly. Whereas if she's 15 and she's, like, in love with this dude, I don't really believe that the movie version of her wouldn't have gone with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? 15-year-olds are like that. Yeah, she would have been counting down the days (laughs) until she turned 17. Well, you know, that's Bella Swan in Twilight. Yes, it is Bella Swan. Here we go. Bring her (laughs) out. I'm not going to talk about Twilight Um, anymore, but I do really want to watch Twilight after watching Tuck Everlasting. (laughs) This is a superior story to Twilight. I'll say that much. The story. Yeah, the book. The book. Yeah, like the essential story is Um, a better story. So something else that I wanted to mention comparing and contrasting the book and the movie Mm -hmm. Um, and having to do with choice and having to do with kind of, like, the suspense of the story. I love that in the movie, with May's escape, or I'm sorry, in the book, not the movie. <laughs> in the book, with May's escape, they're like, okay, well, Miles was a carpenter. Yeah. He's going to... Take the window out. Take the window out. Take the bars out of the window. You're going to go in there. Like, can you help us? Like, meet us at midnight. So then she's given this other choice. Yeah. She's given the choice to either... Don't help them. Let May go and hang in the gals. Because what's the point? Like, is she, does she need to help this family? Not really. But they have been kind to her, even though they kidnapped her. Yeah, they're her friends. But it's like, friends. you know, she's, she's gotten to know them. They're her friends. So she's like, okay, I have these two choices. All right, I'm going to help them. So it describes in the book Winnie, like, feeling nervous mm-hmm. and getting, like, 
anxious about midnight coming and like eating dinner with her parents and, she feels and like wanting so it to guilty go guilty about yes sneaking away from her family. Yeah. And so it's like there's this this air about it that makes it more tense. Yeah. Whereas in the movie Jesse just comes up to her window. She's like laying yeah. in bed and Jesse comes in, "We need your help." And she goes immediately and follows him. Because of course she's going to because she's head over heels for this guy. Yeah. So it's like I like the idea of her again given being given a choice between do you do nothing or do you do something? I'm trying to find a... Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm trying to find a passage that I really liked. Um, it might take um, me so a that was, to find it. No, that's fine. So that was something that kind of, like, with the movie, it bummed me out. Because I was like, I really like that image of her having to, like, pretend to be May in the cell. And, like, having to pretend to be asleep and... Yeah. Fool this officer that's gonna come check on their like like this is like a scary, dangerous thing that she's doing that she chose to do. Whereas in the movie, she runs into the police station so... and is like, They're attacking me, they're gonna kidnap me again. Help, help, help. And then like breaks them out, which in the movie it's May and Pa that have been um locked up. And then this was another really weird scene. Miles and Jesse are out in the street with like sabers in these coats, and they're like, "You, I don't can't remember what they say." They're like, "Hell will be rained upon yeah. you," or something like that. Like it's really weird. It's so strange. And then the guy shoots them, and they fall to the ground. And they get back up, and then the guy runs off wherever. But the thing that bothered me about that, too, in the moment watching it was, okay, so this family's trying to stay inconspicuous. Yep. They're trying to get away. But then what they're doing is creating a scene, and, like, she's running in and saying, they're going to kidnap me again. But doesn't that mean that they're just going to follow them <laughs> after they've left? Like, <laughs> there's going to be a pursuit. Yeah, I, it's... It's so Whereas strange. in the book, they leave silently. They leave during a storm. I mean, and it's storming in the movie, too, but that doesn't matter. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't need to be they're raining. they're very loud and conspicuous. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just, like, generic, so I, like, dramatic movie rain at that point. Exactly. It has no function. Yeah. It has a function in the book because they're using, like, the thunder to mask Miles breaking the bars yeah. and taking apart the bars. So I, that was something else that I was kind of like, okay, comparing and contrasting those two things, not a big fan of how they did it in the movie. Yeah. Um, I found the passage I was looking for. I felt like it, well, it's a couple of different paragraphs from a couple of different pages, but I feel like it really encapsulates like the growing up aspect of this book and like, mm -hmm. um, it's her when she's kind of like thinking about like, what can I do about May Tuck? She's really anxious about the situation and- you know, on the one hand, like, she has to literally decide between her family and her friends, the Tucks, but it's also, like, you know, when you're that old, you have to decide how independent you're going to be and how much you're going to kind of break away from your family and test the boundaries and make choices for yourself and how that can be really hard. Um, so it says, Winnie pulled her little rocking chair up to her bedroom window and sat down. The rocking chair had been given to her when she was very small, but she still squeezed into it sometimes when no one was looking because the rocking made her almost remember something pleasant, something soothing that would never quite come up to the surface of her mind, and tonight she wanted to be soothed. Um, she, this part's talking about her family. They peered at her anxiously over their shoulders as if they sensed that she was different now from what she had been before. Well, thought Winnie, crossing her arms on the windowsill, she was different. Things had happened to her that were hers alone and had nothing to do with them. It was the first time, and no amount of telling about it could help them understand or share what she felt. It was satisfying and lonely, both at once. She rocked, gazing out at the twilight, and the soothing feeling came reliably into her bones. That feeling, it tied her to them, to her mother, her father, her grandmother with strong threads too ancient and precious to be broken. 
but there were new threads now, tugging and insistent, which tied her just as firmly to the tucks. Yeah, that part makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. Just, like, remembering that kind of feeling of... Yeah. I, re- I like the description that it was satisfying and lonely both at once. Yeah, that's that's a... Like, a melancholy yeah. feeling. Because, you know, the flip side of independence is loneliness, and I think that's something that every kid has to go through at some point. Yep. And, like, realizing that the more independent you are, the less you're understood. Mm-hmm. And the more you're kind of alone with your experiences. But I think another thing that we haven't touched on, and it kind of goes a little bit along with that, is that I think part of the reason why she feels such a connection to the Tucks mm-hmm. in general is because, like, she's never experienced that sort of family before. Yeah. Like you were saying, they're so comfortable with eating, and they kind of just, like, do their thing, and it's very yeah. informal. Their house like, is messy. Yeah, she's not used to that. And so having this warm, loving family mm-hmm. is very different for her. Yeah. Than it is 